Genesis chapter 1. And quite simply, our, our theme today is the Creator and His creation. The Creator and His creation. The word universe literally means one sentence or one verse. That's because it only takes one sentence from the Bible to tell us where everything came from. Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. But God didn't just speak everything into existence in one go of course. You look at chapter 1 verse 2. The earth was without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And there's a sense of anticipation there. God makes the heavens and the earth. But they're without form and void. And the spirit of God is hovering. It's as if the spirit of God is raring to go you might say. That life and, and, and variety and creation is going to appear in this formless, empty, shapeless earth that God has just created. One writer actually says the phrase there, without form, you could say it was a blob. It was a hodgepodge. And God chose to make his beautiful world from this initial hodgepodge. Something within us loves to see a hodgepodge become something beautiful and well put together. Uh, Boys and girls, maybe some of you love to open up a box of Lego uh, and sort out the pieces and and look at the picture on the box. and, And you've got the mess of pieces in front of you. But as you work at it, it takes shape and it becomes what it's supposed to be. Maybe some of you like to see how individual pieces of an engine fit together in a car and how the whole car is fit together and and made for something useful and purposeful. And in all kinds of ways, something about order and progress coming from chaos, coming from a hodgepodge, there's something about putting it all together that is very satisfying to us. That's because we've been made in the image of a God who did the exact same thing when he created the heavens and the earth. The key to this wonderful, awesome first chapter of Scripture is those three little words, and God said, God said. They appear ten times in Genesis 1, and every, every time they introduce the next thing that God did. Friends, the one true God is a speaking God. We don't have to guess what he's like. We don't have to go trekking into the wildest wilderness of the earth and hope to have some profound mystical experience. God has spoken and still speaks to us clearly. And what we see in Genesis 1 is that God's spoken word creates. God's word brings life even from what at first is an empty, shapeless, lifeless blob. Three things to consider from this Wonderful account of the creator and his creation today in Genesis 1. First of all, upon reading and studying this passage, we should, we should savour the order and beauty of creation. We should savour the order and the beauty of creation. 
Before he even filled our planet with life, God perfectly positioned our planet to host human and plant and animal life. According to one of my fellow preachers, scientists estimate that there are over 200 parameters, 200 variables that need to be just right for life to exist on our planet. We are just the right distance from the sun. We're spinning on our axis at just the right speed and angle. All kinds of fine details just so happen to be just right for life on earth. Some of you maybe saw the footage of the Mars rover Perseverance landing on the surface of Mars at the end of last month. That was a really exciting moment to see live footage from the surface of another planet that human beings have sent a machine to to, to land on. But as I was reading about that, even designing a robot that could be landed on Mars was incredibly difficult. Because everything about Mars, its atmosphere, its surface, the makeup of the air and so forth, is just not at all suitable for landing something on the surface. Let alone for the kind of vibrant life that flourishes on planet Earth. Rod Little, a journalist writing about the Mars rover last month, he said, Once it was assumed that given the billions upon billions of stars in our universe... And the proportion that have planets, there must surely be life somewhere. But he goes on, however, the latest work from Oxford University suggests that because of bizarre, quote, revolutionary transitions that occurred on Earth, we are probably alone. And then he finished the article by saying, if we are wholly, entirely alone, what does this suggest to you? An utterly freakish Accident of maths and evolution, of chance, maybe. Or, he says, given the enormous improbability that we are here at all in this echoless emptiness, the faint suspicion of something divine. Of course, we have more than a faint suspicion. We have Genesis 1 describing for us how God created day after day that first week of creation with order and beauty. And as we read this passage, friends, we should savour the order and beauty that we find in it. How God has made everything just right for life to flourish here. For example, if you think about the order of creation, he says on on days one to three, uh, God makes important separations. Light and dark On day one, skies and seas on day two, the land and the oceans on day three. For the first half of the creation week, God is, if you like, clearing the stage, setting the stage. And then on days four to six, he fills the stage. On day one, he created light and separated it from darkness. On day four, he puts the sun and the moon and the stars in their positions. And because they're now visible from earth, verse 14 says that they will mark out signs and seasons and days and years. So God brings order to the the time and the space that he's made. On day two, God divides the water into the sea below the sky and the clouds above it. And then on day five, God fills the skies and fills the seas with all kinds of creatures swarming in the sky and in the ocean. Verse 20 says, birds that fly across the expanse or the sky and the great sea creatures 
and every living creature that moves in the seas. Having created the land on day three, God fills the land on day six with the animals and eventually also with human beings. And so there we have it in an orderly way and yet in a beautiful way, God creates the heavens and the earth, the Himalayas and the Alps, the African plains and jungles, the mightiest beasts, the tiniest creepy crawlies, every inch of earth as well as the stars and the galaxies far beyond. God speaks and it comes into existence in an orderly, logical but beautiful way. And Genesis emphasizes to us the perfection of all of this. Including the the final day of rest. The creation week was seven days long. Seven, as I mentioned last week in our Revelation series. Seven symbolizes completion and perfection. Seven times in Genesis chapter 1 we read the words, It was good. And when God has finished completely and made human beings, he says it was very good. Even in the way the story has been told to us by Moses, it emphasizes how perfect and beautiful God's creation was. We're told that he made the vegetation, the trees, the plants, according to their kinds. And it's the same with the birds and the animals and the fish and so forth. There are boundaries, there is variety, there is complexity and there is distinction in creation. There's light and dark, day and night, summer and winter, plants and animals and birds. So much variety, so much complexity and colour. Friends, we should savour the order and beauty of creation. And what Genesis 1 is telling us is that if there is any ugliness in our world... If there are things that are chaotic or out of place, that's not how it was at the beginning. It's not how it was at the beginning. And of course there is ugliness and disorderliness and many things out of place in our world. And not just in the human world, but of course in the natural world. There are violent eruptions and earthquakes, there's flooding, there's all kinds of disruption. There's violence and hatred, anxiety and fear. There's death in our world today. And what Genesis chapter 1 is clearly telling us, friends, is that that's not because of God. It's not how it was at the beginning. It's all because of us. It's because, as we'll see in Genesis 3, we've rebelled against our Creator. We've looked at the beautiful world that he made, everything that he gave to us, and we have said, I think we could do a better job. Imagine a professional chef whipping up a a delicious looking and smelling meal, setting it down for someone to enjoy. And instead of enjoying it, that person starts throwing in all kinds of sauces and herbs and ingredients that ruin it and take away from what the chef has created You might still be able to enjoy some of the taste intended by the chef. You might be able to see, you might be able to see here and there what it was supposed to be. But a mess has been made of it. 
And that's what our sin has done in this world, in the human world and in the natural world. We've made a mess of what was perfect and good. And yet even at that, friends, and we'll think more about about that and the remedy to all of that a little later. But even with that being the case, we can still savour and enjoy many of the beautiful sights and experiences that God has built into his creation. Especially if you live in Northern Ireland. In Northern Ireland, we're spoiled for choice when it comes to enjoying creation. Even right now, I can hear a bird singing outside the window. It's a beautiful spring morning. We're beginning to see the colours come into our gardens. We're beginning to see the longer days that we all have been craving all winter. We can feel the sand under our feet. We can run and walk and climb and swim. All all beautiful parts of the, the countryside around us to enjoy. You can go out for a walk this afternoon in almost any direction and see some of the beauty and order of God's creation. And as we do that, friends, and we should do that, and we should enjoy it, we can say with the psalmist, the heavens declare the glory, the beauty, the power, the majesty of our God. We should see and savour the order and beauty of creation. But not only that, Genesis 1 also shows us that we should serve the creator, not the creation. We should serve the creator, not the creation. Genesis 1 clearly wants us to see the beauty of creation as we've considered. But even more than that, Genesis 1 wants us to see the authority and power of the creator. As I've mentioned, the first people to hear the the words of Genesis were the Israelites who had spent 400 years as slaves in Egypt. And during that time in Egypt, they were surrounded by people who believed in myths and legends about how the world was created. No one else believed that one all-powerful God had made everything. Instead, they believed that lots of gods just kind of by accident, in some cases, created the universe. It was like an overflow of their power, their chaotic power, spilling out into the universe. The Egyptians, for example, believed that the sun was a god who had created pretty much everything else. And during their time in Egypt, the Israelites would have seen the Egyptians worshipping the sun and the moon and the stars, bowing down to them, making sacrifices to them. But what does Genesis 1 say about the sun and the moon? Look how Moses describes them in verse 16. God made the two great lights. It's like Moses is saying, that's all they are, you know, they're just lights. Don't need to be worshipped, not gods. The greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He doesn't even refer to them by name as the sun and the moon. He just says they're lights and God made them. Look at the very end of verse 16. After he mentions the greater light and the lesser light, look how verse 16 ends. And the stars. And the stars. The Babylonians and other pagan people, when Genesis was first written, worshipped the stars. They believed the stars had godlike powers. They studied them intensely. They believed the stars could provide purpose and meaning to their lives. 
The way Moses mentions the stars, it's like he almost forgot about them. Oh yeah, God made the stars too. That's almost how it sounds in verse 16. There's no problem, no big deal. They're up there. In the words of one great philosopher, big balls of gas burning billions of miles away. And that's it. They're beautiful to look at, but they're not God's. One more example, look at verse 21. So God created the great sea creatures. The great sea creatures. Another popular myth, this time from the land of Canaan, the land that the Israelites would eventually go to. The Canaanites believed that their great god Baal, who was the god of fertility and life, that he had sort of a cosmic battle with a great sea monster. Uh, The Canaanites considered the storms of the sea as a sign of this great struggle between Baal and a great sea god monster. Are sea creatures any threat to the God of Israel? Genesis says no. Because God again created the sea creatures. God simply spoke. And the sea creatures just like everything else came into existence. God spoke the sharks and the whales and the crocodiles and everything else into existence. He's in charge of them. He has command of them as to where they go and what they do. They're no threat to him whatsoever. Friends, the point is over and over again in Genesis that as powerful and as beautiful as creation is, don't worship creation. Worship the creator. And we might think, well, that sounds kind of obvious. You won't find any of us, probably nobody in Dremore, uh, worshipping the sun or thinking that some great sea monster is a threat to our God. But friends, there are many, many other ways in which we can end up worshipping created things instead of the creator God. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 1. This is our problem as sinners. There is a a bent, a bias in our hearts toward finding anyone or anything to worship and serve rather than the creator God. What kinds of created things might we be tempted to build our lives upon? Who or what might we be tempted to make our lives revolve around? Well, human beings are created things. As valuable and precious as we are, we're not God's. And yet we live in a culture that essentially encourages us to worship ourselves as though we are gods. Some of you have probably seen the Disney movie Beauty and the Beast. Uh, And you might remember the villain in the story is a very handsome, popular, impressive man named Gaston. Gaston is a cruel, selfish bully. He treats women as trophies. He puts other people down to make himself look better. Strangely, however, a few weeks ago, Disney's official Twitter feed posted a picture of Gaston smiling smiling at himself in the mirror. And the caption read, love yourself as much as Gaston loves himself. And I thought to myself, and some of the people that commented underneath obviously thought the same. I thought, have they forgotten the whole point of the story? The man that loves himself so much turns out to be the narcissist and the bully and the villain. But that's the attitude that we're encouraged to have. Love yourself. 
that the, most, the person most deserving of my time and interest and, uh, and effort is me. My appearances, my likes, my follows, my success, that's what my life should be all about. Me, a created thing. Maybe for some of us it's a hobby. Nothing excites us more than the next time our team is due to play. The whole week is built around it. Nothing and no one must get in the way of it. Some of us it might be a relationship. Our life is built around that one person that we're hoping will give us a sense of joy and uh, appreciation and acceptance. Or maybe perhaps it's built around the, our children and all that we want them to have and achieve. Some aspects of the modern day climate change movement show that worship of creation is still very much a part of human culture and belief. Some of the more extreme aspects of those who protest against uh, what they believe to be man-made climate change, they, they show almost a reverence for the earth itself. And of course, we're supposed to look after creation. But some people talk in terms of Mother Earth and a sacredness to creation itself. In a multitude of ways, friends, human beings today worship and serve created things rather than the creator God. What about you? What about me? Who is it or what is it that we are tempted or prone to worshiping and serving? Genesis is saying, if you're wondering who is most awesome, most important, most worthy of worship it's the creator not any part or any one in creation no one and nothing has done more for you than the creator no one and nothing can provide meaning and purpose to your life like the creator no one and nothing loves you more than the one who made you so don't worship and serve anyone but him So we can see and savour the order and beauty of creation. We, can also, we also are told here to serve the creator, not the creation. And then thirdly and finally today, we should see the work of Christ in the work of creation. We should see the work of Christ in the work of creation. When we arrive in the New Testament, we immediately find echoes and reminders of Genesis chapter 1 and we find them especially in the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to the first words of the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 1 verse 1. He chooses to begin by saying the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. The beginning. Doesn't that sound familiar? Or John chapter 1 verse 1 is perhaps even more of a call back to Genesis. In the beginning John says was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and John's gospel makes clear that the word is Jesus Christ Jesus is the one who spoke the world into existence Colossians chapter 1 verses 15 and 16 tell us that he is the image of the invisible God Paul says the firstborn or the ruler of all creation by him all things were created, Paul says. The world, friends, came into existence at the command of Jesus Christ. 
And as we think about the creation of the world in Genesis 1, we see picture after picture of what Jesus would eventually come and do for us, his people. Genesis 1 tells us, for example, that God provided light and separated it from the darkness. On one occasion, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever believes in me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Genesis 1 tells us of how God commanded life where there had been no life before. And on one occasion, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. We are born dead in our trespasses and sins. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ that brings life into our souls, friends. Jesus proved that by raising people physically from the dead, giving them life. And of course, he himself rose from the dead. Genesis 1 shows us God creating order, where at first there was chaos, a a hodgepodge, like a big box of Lego all mixed up. On one occasion, Jesus was in a little fishing boat on a lake with his 12 disciples on a stormy, chaotic night. It was a hodgepodge. The waves were crashing all around them. A group of experienced fishermen thought they were going to die. What did Jesus do? He spoke And he brought order to chaos immediately. See friends, Genesis chapter 1, even here, Jesus shows us what he can do in our hearts. He can bring light where at first there is only the darkness of our sin. He can bring life where at first there is only the deadness of our sin. He can bring order and peace to our lives where at first there was Chaos and loneliness and regret because of our sin. Jesus can take all of that away and bring joy and beauty into our lives. Genesis 1 tells us about one of the most magnificent, miraculous things that God has ever done. Creating the heavens and the earth. But it's not the most glorious thing that God has ever done. His greatest ever work was the magnificent miracle of saving sinners from their sins. And he did that by sending the Lord Jesus Christ. The creator came into the creation. The one who created human beings in his image himself became a human being and lived without sin. And so Jesus Christ, having lived without sin, having refused to rebel against God, he is the perfect human being, the perfect representative of us all, the one who could provide a perfect sacrifice to satisfy the anger and wrath of our great God against our sin. And friends, when Jesus died on the cross, darkness came down on Calvary for three hours. Just as the earth was covered in darkness before God brought light and life, Jesus went into darkness so that he could bring life and light into our lives. Jesus died and Jesus rose. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in him, worships him instead of created things, will live forever in a perfect world that he will one day create. So if you're a Christian this morning, can I encourage you every time that you read Genesis 1, 
this wonderful story of creation. Be reminded of your own personal story. Of what the great creator God has done for you in Jesus Christ. Is Jesus your life? Is Jesus your light? You might have noticed as we read and studied the days of creation here. That God said let there be light on day one. And yet the sun didn't appear in the sky until day four. The question is, where did the light come from on days one to three? How could there be any daylight at all if the sun didn't appear until day four? Well, one answer is that perhaps the sun did come into existence when God said, let there be light on day one. And it just wasn't visible in the sky until day four. The creation account very much gives us the story from the point of view of someone on earth. And so it's possible that the sun appeared in the sky on day four, having already been created. The passage, the way it describes it, that is possible. But it's also possible that the light on days one to three came from a different source. It's possible that the light that shone on those first three days was the light of the glory of God himself. Over and over again, the Bible describes God's presence As being like glorious light. Psalm 104 verse 1 says of God. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. Covering yourself with light. And at the very end of the Bible. In Revelation 21. We have described for us the new heavens and the new earth. That Jesus will one day create. And it's described as having, the the new earth is described as having a beautiful city at the center of it. And Revelation 21, 23 says, The city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb, Jesus. Perhaps Jesus Christ shone the light of his glory on the earth for the first three days of creation. He will certainly shine the light of his glory on the new earth someday. What about right now in your life today? Has the light of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, of who he is and what he has done, shone into your life? Is more and more of your life lit up with the reflection of Jesus, his gentleness, his patience, his goodness, his kindness, his holiness? Do you look forward to seeing this beautiful world transformed someday to be even more beautiful? Free of sin, with the light of the glory of God shining on it once again. Amen.